Hey everyone, I'm Britt and welcome to Educate Me, a podcast where we share stories of surviving and thriving in graduate school. My guest this week is Heather Woods, a PhD candidate in education researching social emotional learning. We chat about how she changed her research project in response to different barriers and staying organized. All right, hello and welcome to my podcast, Heather. Uh, Can you go ahead and introduce yourself to everybody? So hello, Britt. Thank you for having me. Um, So my name is Heather Woods. I am a PhD candidate at the Faculty of Education um, here at the University of Ottawa. I also am a part-time professor of um, some graduate courses on social-emotional learning, um, which is my research area. So I research what social-emotional learning looks like in uh, elementary schools within Canada. So I actually I'm currently looking at Ontario and um, Alberta and kind of what does it look like in research? So how do researchers define and implement um, social emotional learning uh, programs within schools? And then how are teachers doing it? So that's the practice piece, Um, looking at how teachers actually implement and learn about social emotional learning and what does it mean to them? when researchers aren't necessarily involved. And then the last piece will be looking at the curriculum documents for those two provinces. Um, So uh, Alberta and Ontario and looking at how social emotional learning is defined within policy and then kind of like seeing what the links and gaps are between those three pieces. Um, So that's my my research and my dissertation. I also do a little bit of research on the side about um, digital literacies. So um, it's really interesting to kind of bridge all that stuff together. And particularly right now, how does that look? Um, How do social emotional competencies look when everything is now online with uh, the pandemic? So, yeah, it's an interesting space to be in. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, I always think in social sciences, there's a reason we got into the research we're into. Uh, So tell me a bit about what got you interested in social emotional learning. Um, So initially in my undergrad, I was, um, well, even in high school, I really liked like the high school psychology courses that we were taking. Um, But then I ended up not pursuing that in university um, (laughs) until, you know, five, almost six years later after high school, um, I went back to school and uh, did my undergrad in psychology and was really drawn to um, like social psych and uh, ended up working with um, Rob Copeland um, at Carleton University and looking at um, aggressive behaviors, which kind of then sparked my interest in looking at bullying. Um, so, you know, peer harassment, peer aggression, and how do teachers cope with that? Um, I got really, really interested in kind of their self-efficacy and how we can support um, kind of creating healthier spaces for, for students and teachers Um, and looking at that. So that's kind of where it started. And then um, for my master's, I was over at Brock in education. And um, again, looking at that self-efficacy piece related to bullying prevention particularly. Um, And then what that kind of showed me was that there's a lot of broader system um, influences on teacher self-efficacy in regards to bullying prevention. So whether it's um, board or, you know, um, cultural kind of 
understandings of bullying and whether it's considered a norm or how it's followed up with that sort of thing. Um, so then for my dissertation now, um, I kind of zoomed out that lens a little bit more. Um, and I'm sure we'll kind of get into how I switched from bullying to social emotional learning. Um, yeah. But they're, they're very much related. A lot of the bullying prevention programs do relate to um, kind of building and developing our social emotional competencies. So um, that it's related, but yeah, it was a bit of a turn. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So yeah, let's talk about that turn. So, um, in terms of, uh, challenging times, you mentioned already the pandemic, but what other challenges have you gone through and how has that affected your research program? Um, I think one of the biggest thing, yeah, is the, the pivots, <laughs> as you mentioned, the, um, that I have had to go through to, get my project off the ground. Um, so initially my original proposal was to look at bullying prevention programs um, within schools that had had an implementation. Now that limits my pool <laughs> quite yeah. a bit um, of, of particip potential participants. Um, and so from that, we didn't get much feedback. Um, we had no school boards sign up to participate. Um, and then one of the things that we got back was that the boards were tired of talking about bullying and they wanted to really reframe it into resilience um, and, and kind of fostering it in a more positive way. So we took that feedback into account and, um, you know, proposed, okay, let's look at social emotional learning, which really underpins all of the bullying prevention programs. So building resilience, building coping strategies, building healthy relationships, what does that look like? Um, and, you know, our self-awareness and self-management, all of those things that come together in social emotional learning. Um, so kind of zoomed my lens out even more, um, not just looking at, um, you know, the, the broader systemic situation, but also looking at the broader concepts that underpin um, what is happening with bullying uh, prevention. So it was really interesting to do that kind of first pivot. I mean, even in developing your, your proposal, right? Like it changes so much from what you originally thought. I remember walking oh, into yeah. like one of yeah. my first meetings with uh, my supervisor and he said, um, easy Heather you need to graduate. You can't talk to everybody, like make it into a manageable project. <laughs> Cause I was going to talk to like everybody in the school system, everybody in the community. It was like, right. Like you just go in with these grand ideas and he's like, that's what you get paid to do after. <laughs> oh yeah. I was always told, no, that's going to go into your five-year research plan after your dissertation. Yeah. Right. So um, that development kind of just working through your proposal, but then once I even had that approved, there's that pivot, right, of changing to meet the feedback that we're getting from the community um, that really there's starting to be a really big emphasis on developing these social emotional skills. So helping kids understand their emotions and respect each other and develop those healthy relationships. So we took that into account and uh, we we're supposed to do a to school case study um, and do a bit of, uh, you know, looking at how they're similar and if they differed in any way. Um, and, you know, 
uh, we did end up getting school boards that were on board um, here in Ontario. But at that time, we were under, um, there was a lot of labor unrest at the, the time the school board, um, teacher uh, federations were striking. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, so there there was work to rule. And um, so we didn't get any schools uh, with that. So this is probably from the proposal to this point, I would say almost a year, maybe a little bit more <laughs> of just like waiting and trying to get people on board. Um, and then, yeah, it's... Uh, then we had to go back to the drawing board because we waited a few months and, you know, the, the labor unrest wasn't, um, negotiations weren't going well. And so we, you know, went back to the drawing board. What, the, what could that look like? Um, and it was right about the time that the pandemic started and Ontario shut down. <laughs> that right. We um, settled on looking at... Um, what we have now as the SEL in action project. Um, so, you know, it was big discussions. I sat down with um, my supervisor and we started talking like, okay, what could this look like? Um, what is our best chance of, you know, getting, <laughs> getting me to graduation. Um, <laughs> right. Um, and so I was like, well, we could do like maybe like a systematic review or we could, you know, expand where we're looking for and change our recruitment process so we'll go through social media instead of school boards and then but that means all our teachers won't be from the same school board so what does that mean um and then we also talked about like looking at policy documents and i had presented all these things as separate ideas and oh, yeah uh, <laughs> yeah and then uh somehow it came out to uh looking at research policy and practice <laughs> as one whole piece. So the systematic review became much more of a scoping review because we're not trying to answer any questions. We're really just trying to understand the conceptualization of social emotional learning in research practices right. and how it's implemented. Yeah. Um, so it would fit under the, the purview of a scoping review. And then we changed, okay, well, we'll focus on, you know, a province or I was like, well, for getting the the best chances maybe like let's go all of Canada and wherever we get um you know our first two provinces which now are Ontario and Alberta um we'll we'll zoom in on those provinces and to keep it manageable so I'm not doing I think I pulled all the curriculum documents from the whole country and it's over 400 documents so I don't want to do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For those curriculum documents, are you focusing on particular subject areas or just more of a broad? Um, so typically social emotional learning from at least in the province of Ontario and what I've seen just glancing at the curriculum documents from across the country, um, it's typically in health and phys ed um, under the purview of like mental health. Um, but I'm very curious to see because in Ontario, our, it was just added this um, past year, so 2019, September, um, that social emotional learning is made explicit in the curriculum. Um, and, but it mentions throughout that, um, you need to implement it across curriculum. So like, what does it look like in science and math and stuff? 
but it doesn't really right. give you the um, tools to necessarily do that. So um, I'm very curious to see and look at the curriculum documents and see where maybe those connections can be made to implement, you know, our critical thinking skills is mentioned so often in social studies, um, you know, uh, problem solving in science and those types of things. Like, where are those other connections that we can make? And let's try to make them explicit to really help educators make those um, connections for themselves. Because what I'm hearing is the there's just a lack of resources to really focus on that intercurricular um, connection between the two and moving it outside of just looking at it in health. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, we've put it all together to look at research policy and practice now. And yeah, it's actually been going quite well, but it's taken all of it together probably about two years, if not more, possibly three now that I think about it to really get it <laughs> off the ground. Um, you know, and it, it's, it just speaks to one of the many times that we need to pivot, right? And um, always have those backup plans and be thinking about other options, um, you know, have your ABCD plan. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think, like, the, the core of the issue that you've had is, is around participant recruitment. And I think that's not uncommon in the social sciences. And I mean, I face that as a challenge in my master's as well. Mm -hmm. And what have you learned about participant recruitment through all of these challenges? Um, goodness. I think timing is critical. Um, and, you know, making those connections. So really the fact that I was able to leverage the connections that I had on Twitter already um, you know, like that was where I had the biggest education community that I was a part of. And so not leveraging that initially, I think was, uh, an oversight, um, on my part. So it's, it's really, um, you know, if, if you have a connection and I, I think most of us, if we're researching something this in depth and we're taking on a four-year project, <laughs> Um, you know, we have an, a vested interest in it and there, we do have connections somehow. So how can we kind of leverage those to really help, um, help, help the community that we're supporting, but, you know, help us with the recruitment process because, you know, the snowball sampling and using our network to, you know, get at that extended net network, everyone I've talked to so far, I don't, um, except for like a couple, <clears throat> I don't know them personally. So it's really that like once, twice, three times removed kind of thing of people resharing, people um, telling a friend or sharing it in an email or something like that, right? Um, so really leveraging my existing network. <coughs> Sorry. Um, I think was a big lesson learned and... Um, yeah, I think particularly right now, a lot of people are more interested in looking at digital methods. Um, I've spoken about it twice, I think, in the last week <laughs> um, at Lunch and Learns and that sort of thing, um, and looking at how we conduct research online and then how that um, informs our practice. And I, I think it adds a piece of a bit of participatoriness, right? Um, 
yeah if we're if we're thinking about using our our digital networks for recruitment you know how are we giving back to that digital network um i think is is a key piece for that but yeah i think in terms of recruitment it's you know it's just like job hunting it's who you know and like who you can connect with (laughs) it's um definitely the roughest part I think of yeah my master's and my my dissertation um it's not easy but (laughs) yeah there's so much yeah there's so much unknown about it I find in the Mm -hmm. recruitment piece and it's just waiting will people like bite the hook type of thing Mm -hmm. um but you also have me thinking about uh so in researching in k-12 often the school boards can be these gatekeepers and there's other gatekeepers in other areas of research as well. Mm-hmm. And um, often it's, well, we go to the school board and then the school board signs on and then we go to the, they'll identify schools that we can go into. Um, and do you see that changing or has it already changed? Um, do you think there's more opportunities to to get research either w- with partner teachers or in schools and and not have to you or have these gatekeepers not behave in this in the same way that they have been um I think it's interesting right because I did get the school boards to sign on and then it was the schools themselves that didn't respond to my um recruitment right so oh right okay yeah yeah, there is this gatekeeperness and I think it depends on your research so much right um in my case I'm looking to talk to um teachers and school staff so like ECEs or EAs um would be like the terminology we use in Ontario I don't know if it's quite the same in Alberta but um you know different supports that we have within the schools so there's a a sense of agency and um in recruiting through social media I think and I don't want to say it this way, but I can't think of a better way to say it, but like skirting around the school board. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Right. If you don't need them to be, if you aren't trying to access the kids, if you aren't trying to get them all on the same school board, I think using digital methods and digital networks um, and social networks is it allows the teachers to take agency over their own experiences um, and removes that gatekeeper, right? Because there is the gatekeeper for us accessing them, but then also teachers that are willing to participate, being able to tell the, and share their experiences and stories. Um, so it's like two-way gatekeeping a little bit. Um, so it removes that. But I mean, if you need to be in the school, um, I think having those connections, I know a few of my colleagues um, you know, they have connections with a school or a teacher that is on board. So then the request for research can come internally from the school, which changes things. Um, right. Right. And uh, yeah, so it's just a, it's a shift. Right. Um, and unfortunately I have my social network, but I didn't have a connection to anybody in the schools that we were, the boards that we had access to. And um, you know, that was super keen on my project. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because within, I think the day of, um, or at least a week of me posting my first recruitment on Twitter, like teachers, I almost hit my quota, um, almost immediately, um, for Ontario. Um, we're still working on 
uh, Alberta, but I mean, there's like a filter bubble there, obviously, of my connections are in Ontario. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, right. So, um, yeah, it's just kind of interesting to see, like, teachers are passionate about fostering relationships with their students and, and building these competencies with their students. Um, and they're very, like, keen to talk to me. Uh, about it so it was just really interesting to see that shift um but yeah the the length of time that it took to get here is kind of like I was talking to my supervisor I think a month ago and he was just like you know you've put so much work in and like it's been such a struggle and I was just like what are you talking about like things are great I'm like I'm recruiting my scoping review is underway like everything's going so well and he was just like Heather, have you just like blocked out the last like couple of years? And I'm like, just repressed memories. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. That's really funny. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that definitely happens when we face those challenges and finally get past it. It's like, oh, well, that was, that was then this is now. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it sounds like really getting creative also helped you yeah. to now get to this point. Yeah. Um, and so the terrible question that no one is ever supposed to ask a PhD student is, uh, now that you're at, at this data collection point, um, like where do you, how long do you see this taking? Cause I mean, when I was looking at your research project too, I was like, wow, scoping review and like all of this, wow, this is a huge project. Yeah. Well, we're under lockdown, so I've got time. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, Ideally, I'm, I, I picture all the data collection um, and beginning analyses to be done um, over the summer and then just right through the fall. I am on a time crunch. My um, scholarship ran out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. This summer is my last um, term uh, under scholarship. So, you know, I, I was hoping to be done this summer, but obviously it just didn't work out that way with all the... Um, changes that happened and so I right now fingers crossed I am expecting to finish in by the end of 2020 um and then move on to whatever comes my way or whatever I create um you know I I think it's funny because like the project is very different uh now but my passion for it um is like a hundred times more than it was for my original project. Um, And, you know, it's more in line with what I was thinking of really looking at these broader contexts that influence, um, you know, how are we supporting students? How are we supporting teachers? And um, yeah, like it's like my passion for it has just grown um, and people that talk to me because I teach social emotional learning and competencies they're just like like I can make connections to anything (laughs) I'm just like well it's about building relationships and research and you know like that's why I share my research publicly and they're just like you're just living it like everything you do social emotional competencies and I was like yeah it's great so like it's the SEL in Action project, research project, I think is one piece of a larger puzzle. Um, I would love to start talking to people about, you know, what 
that looks like in different professions, like what those competencies look like. So self-management, self-awareness, um, relationship building and like look at different professions and then, you know, it really helps to justify why it's so important to teach our children these competencies, right. And develop them during school. Um, and you know, it's not just, it makes, you know, a classroom management strategy. It's bigger than that. Like if students aren't well and their well being is not being taken care of and they're not being taught coping strategies to manage themselves, foster relationships, you know, the climate in which they're learning just doesn't necessarily exist. Um, you know, you've got to take care of the student before you can start kind of pouring into their little cup of knowledge. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, and I see, thinking about your research too, like my research on feedback literacy, uh, mm -hmm. it ties into self-regulation theory. And so there's a lot of, dare I say it, synergy uh, between uh, <laughs> those fields. And yeah, I'm starting to delve in as well into how feedback works in the in the workplace and mm -hmm. um, also why we need to teach undergraduate students and I mean, junior high and high school students as well, how to use feedback and how to ask for feedback and how to accept and process feedback uh, so that they can actually do it competently in the workplace as well. Mm -hmm. because feedback is used just as badly in the workplace as it is in undergrad <laughs> so exactly yeah it's just it well it, yeah it just here I go again but like it's growth mindset right like how you provide feedback and foster somebody's ability to take feedback and then you know learn from it and move on and develop those skills um and scaffolding it and that sort of thing um yeah I think it permeates so much of what we do. And I think even my students, they'll be like, your feedback is embodying social emotional competencies because, you know, you're telling us the next steps where we can improve. And it's not like, well, you did this wrong. <laughs> right. And yeah. It's actually, yeah, that's really interesting too. Cause I'm starting to look at um, coming out of my research is this idea of alignment. When you ask instructors what they think feedback is for and mm -hmm. then what their actual feedback processes are, is there alignment there? And uh -huh. um, I don't know yet. I'm, I'm digging into my data still. I'm in the data analysis phase. But <laughs> uh, what you say there is, is true. I think there is some alignment. And I think where instructors start to struggle and face a lot of challenges in their feedback processes is because it doesn't align with what they believe feedback is for and what their purposes for feedback are. Mm -hmm. uh, and then students also struggle with that. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, other question I had for you was, mm -hmm. uh, so doing all this pivoting takes a lot of organization. And yes. so how do you stay organized as a grad student and also teaching and all these other things that you're up to? Um, yeah, I think it took me a little bit um, to kind of get where I'm at. Um, I was not an organized person by any means growing up. <laughs> um <laughs> I shared a room with my sister and like her half is like neat and tidy. And then my half like looks like, you know, just, I went and threw everything up in the air and just left it wherever it landed. <laughs> I was the same way with my, my older sister and I shared a room for a long time. And yeah, I'd have like a pile of clothes on the end of the bed that I just like hang up once a week. And my older sister's side was like pristine. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. And so like the joke was always that like, I was a mess. <laughs> <laughs> but I 
always rely on, um, you know, like that there's creativity and, and that geniuses are messy. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Um, right. So clearly it, it has to be that way. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, in, in terms of managing my time, I mean, because we are in academia as grad students, even, you know, that, that same pressure to fit um, the research and um, teaching and service kind of model that, you know, our profs are doing is still yeah. the same, right? So I, I was volunteering on student associations and, um, you know, the last couple of years I've been teaching um, a one course a term um, online or in class and it's just been, and then you're trying to do your research, but you're also doing research elsewhere as like an RA or whatever, yeah. right? Um, so you've got all these balls up in the air and um I've really found that kind of taking a step back and using my planner so I went through a few stages um I tried a productivity journal which is just based on using like Pomodoro 25 minute chunks um and I really liked that but I needed more space to kind of map out okay <laughs> where are all these projects at and what are the goals this week for this project um, right. So really breaking it down um, by the month and then by the week. And then each day I can kind of plan my day to try and make sure I'm hitting those those task goals. Um, I, I do have to give a, a shout out to my partner because he is a project manager. And um, when we started dating, he was just like, what what are you doing? Like, <laughs> like he was just like, how do you keep track of all this? And I was just like, I don't know, it just happens. And he was like, okay. yeah, it's in my head. It's just like, <laughs> it's like, let's sit down. So like we talked about doing, um, a friend of mine introduced me to like waterfall, um, charts. So like to do in progress done. Yep. Um, and then my partner was able to be like, okay, let's break these tasks down and really help me kind of break things down into more manageable chunks. Um, or in his case, like stories and <laughs> whatever it might be in, in a scrum system. Um, right. And you know, like taking that time to plan it out. Um, like I will take like the morning, uh, like Monday morning and plan my week or Sunday night, depending on where, what I'm feeling like <laughs> or what I have going on. Um, plan my week out and really think about the tasks that need to be done and then like prioritizing high, low, whatever. Um, but um yeah, so just taking that time, but then at the end of the week, taking a step back and reflecting, like what went well, what changed, like what didn't go as planned, but you know, maybe it's better or worse now, like what needs to be addressed, um, what did we learn about either planning or what we're working on. Um, so, you know, like if I had a really productive or inspiring conversation with somebody I might jot that down as what I learned like oh like this is something that you know I can implement or take forward with me or you know it doesn't have nice. to be about the tasks um yeah but just reflecting on the week and like what we learned what went well your like weekly wins and then the unfinished tasks like okay what didn't happen and how are we going to address that kind of thing and taking yeah. that time um you know, and it, it doesn't take like, initially, it took more time. But now it's become so routine that I can kind of 
um, take like an hour to set up my week and then maybe take like half an hour to reflect on my week. Um, and I mean, an hour and a half out of your week um, to have a more productive week, I guess, but or organized week, <laughs> I would say. Um, things still got done before, but it just was like all over the place. So yeah, I think using, um, I use a paper planner, um, but then everything's also in my phone in terms of appointments and stuff because yeah. I will forget. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, right. And, um, so try to automate that stuff, but, you know, taking that time to actually just sit down and disengage from the tech that we're consumed with um particularly right now I think has some some benefits to it and taking that time to kind of assess where you're at and where your projects are at yeah absolutely I was thinking today too I like sit down in front of my computer at like 8 30 in the morning and I probably don't leave until 4 30 in the afternoon maybe take uh, a lunch break but it's pretty quick um yeah, yeah and so integrating some of those analog systems um do you have any like favorite uh, like organizational materials you use right now, like or um, favorite notebooks or planners? Yeah, so I use a passion planner. It's um, set up. Shout really out nicely. to passion planner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it's set up to really reflect on like your big and small accomplishments um, and goals. Um, so I don't use all the features of it, but um, I do find just like the layout of it. And so I can put in those Pomodoro tracking. I usually block out the times and just write in one, two, three, four, five. So I have five tasks in a day. How many Pomodoro sessions do I think each one's going to take me? Um, and then I can check them off. So the Pomodoro technique is um, something I live by. And I have, um, oh goodness, what is the app called? It's called focus pro or something or be focused um on my macbook to set a timer for 25 minutes and then it gives me five minute break and then 25 minutes right back yeah on. yeah and you can like assign tasks and stuff so i find that's helpful because you know i'll look up and be like okay there's only five minutes left like i can push through this like just keep going <laughs> and then i can stretch um and so yeah i would say those are some of my big ones. I do use um, Trello quite a bit. Um, and Me too. Yeah. So I set yep. up my my waterfall or Kanban scrum boards on there. Um, yeah, I so have that the, exact same setup. Yeah. <laughs> the to-do and in progress, um, my dissertation one or anything that I'm working with other people and they have to review my work has a under review column. And then the yep, done, yeah, because <laughs> it just feels so good moving it to the done column. <laughs> it does, and and I really like having the like the waiting for under review column because mm -hmm. before I would like send an email and then not hear from people, but I would forget that I sent an email and then I have to follow up on something. Yeah. So now I yeah I like having something there that's just a, a visual reminder that like oh yeah don't forget about this piece because you probably have to bug them for it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think those would be like my top three, like either techniques or tools that I'm using. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah. So I think, and it, it goes back to like, you know, planning feeds into being able to um, reflect and pivot, right? Like yeah. allowing that space and like 
you know, I can look back in like my notebooks. So I use um, the really popular brand that I can't pronounce um, for bullet journaling. I use those as my notebooks. Um, just oh, like, a... like to them. Yes, <laughs> that one. Um, but, like I can look back in those as my like research journal and stuff and, and see, okay, why did I switch? <laughs> and how is my thinking involved? Um, my past and stuff. Um, but yeah, I think that that space for reflection and planning is really key in grad school um, because things do change. Like talking to the master's students in my lab right now, um, you know, they're so worried about and like other grad students um, creating the perfect proposal. And like, I just kind of look at them and I'm like, what you put in there is not what's happening. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. I kind of laugh. Like I look at my mass, my original master's proposal or even my original like PhD proposal. And yeah, there's like a lot of the same stuff in there, but inevitably you have to cut things or like, like my initial PhD proposal, I was going to collect so much data. And so like (laughs) drop some of that. And then even now, like I ended up collecting too much data, so I won't analyze it all um, Uh for my dissertation. But yeah, that ability to to look back and reflect, I think is so important. And then, yeah, passing on that knowledge. Cause yeah, I like, particularly us as like beginning grad students, I think we met, I don't know how many years ago. I think we were both still in our master's when we met initially. I think at, so. Uh, yeah. At it Congress. Was at, yeah. At Congress one year, I was trying to think yeah. the other day, um, how long it's been, but yeah, we always managed to find each other at Congress. Yeah. Always find each other at Congress. And, uh, yeah. but yeah, I think back of like how, how scary going to conferences was or how like intimidating writing a proposal was and Mm -hmm. now it's just like oh yeah you just do it and yeah and that's the way it goes so yeah but there there's so much intimidation to it right and um it's kind of like hidden behind that curtain and I think one of my goals and kind of you know looking at digital literacies and you know we were just talking about this before but sharing information right and then sharing living in this digital world like what does it mean to contribute to knowledge and society and I think at this stage sharing my journey is um, part of that not just for my research participants to have the transparency of my research but I think also for grad students to really you know not have to go necessarily what we went through and being so scared about like our comps or so scared about like attending that conference or you know submitting a proposal to a conference like oh is it going to be good enough and like depending on the conference because you're a student like there's a good chance you're going to get it (laughs) yeah oh yeah Yeah. depending on where you apply it to like particularly if it's a grad student section um most like interest groups have like a space particularly for grad students so like look for those for like your first ones to really get your foot your feet wet I guess um as opposed to foot in the door but you know to try it out and look for those safer spaces and if like you and I can help guide people to those spaces and practices that are really going to help them along the way I think that you know that's so valuable to incoming graduate students that you know it shouldn't be this big scary process oh yeah like we talk about like the hidden curriculum in k-12 and i think Mm -hmm. like in academia it's the secret curriculum Mm -hmm. um 
because not only is it hidden, but like nobody talks about it. The fact that like learning how to publish and learning how to apply to a conference and um, learning how to deal with the struggles and, and things like that. So um, yeah, definitely one of my goals is to try to to make the secret curriculum less secret and to make it less <laughs> hidden and and try to bring others along the way. Like I remember, particularly when I applied for my master's, I was coming back from a few years of teaching. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I just was <laughs> applying. And then uh, I get in and then I'm told, oh, like, did you apply for these awards and things? I was like, no, I didn't know I could. Yeah. And so now anytime that I know someone who's going to come up from undergrad or if they're moving from their master's straight into their PhD, it's like, okay, here's like all the awards you need to apply to. Uh, and yes, you could apply before you're even admitted uh, and all those sorts of things, because there's just so much that that isn't explicit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you for creating this space so that we can help share some stories. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's fun getting to know other people's research. Like, yeah, when we bump into people at conferences or we see each other's posters and things, you get to chat a bit. But it's always a lot of fun getting to getting to dig in deeper. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, as we come to the end, I'm going to try to end off each uh, episode with a little witty tagline. Uh, and so <laughs> the way it works is so the tagline is uh, and stay in school. But you started off with like your biggest piece of advice uh, that you would give and and then and stay in school. Um. Oh goodness, this is gonna be like so bad. But it's inspired by dodgeball. Dodge, dodge, pivot, and stay in school. That's awesome. I love it. Oh, thank you so much, Heather, for uh for coming on today. This is fantastic. And uh good luck with all that dodging and pivoting. And um <laughs> and hopefully I'll see you uh next year at Congress when we can congregate again. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much for having me, Britt. It's been a pleasure chatting as always. And uh, yeah, this is really, really great uh, what you're doing here. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Educate Me. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podcast Addict, or wherever you listen to podcasts. A huge thank you as well to our audio producer, Sean Paris. Join us next week when I'll be speaking with Connor Shiggins, a glaciologist at the University of Liverpool. Until then, stay in school.